one of the rare examples when uh, Jesus actually explains, you know, what, what he meant with his parable. And uh, so just uh, allow me to extrapolate a little bit of, um, or embellish that a bit. Um, firstly, one way we can think of this gospel is, on one hand, what God is doing, and on the other hand, what we are or are not doing ourselves in response. So the first movement to understand here in this symphony is, what is God doing? He's using the parable of a sower who's taken all the seed and just You know, in one sense, he's being lavish with the seed because he's throwing it everywhere, even on bad soil, right? Um, Even on a path, even on places you would never expect anything to grow. But also, in a sense, he's being kind of wasteful because you know you're not going to bear fruit there. So to even sow seed in that place um, is kind of worthless, but he still does it even though there's little, little expectation. What I think the Lord is trying to get across to us is he is so lavish and even wasteful with his grace that everyone has access to it. There's not a single person who is untouched by God's grace, but also there's not a single person who hasn't already been given what they need by God to find truth, to find happiness, to find joy, to find him. Everyone has been given what they need. So the Lord is lavish, even wasteful with what he gives because for him, it's worth the risk, the chance, the slightest chance that it might bear fruit even though it looks as though it's impossible. So our response then, and this is what he says, what happens is, according to the parable, is essentially the heart of the one who receives it is not always properly disposed. It's like some hearts um, are sown on a path. Some hearts are, are, or some hearts are like a path, rather. Some are like rocky ground, and some are you know, have all kinds of thorns growing up around them. And then lastly, some hearts are rich soil. Now, there can be different reasons why our hearts are not properly disposed. You know, sometimes it's just the world. Sometimes it's just life is really difficult. And there, there are things that, that come up which uh, distract us or get in the way that you know, we wouldn't necessarily want to cast a whole lot of blame on. And then there are other things we would. All right, so if we look at this first one, uh, the seed sown on path, one who hears the word of the kingdom without understanding it, the evil one comes and steals away what was sown in his heart. So this person, if you're looking at this, this, there's kind of a progression here, right? So the initial person is one who's maybe lazy, They don't seek anything about their faith. I mean, maybe they go to church. You know, maybe they say some prayers once in a while, but they're kind of a going through the motions sort of person. Well, I went to church. Father, it's 118. At least I went to church. Well, okay, that's true. At least you went to church. The question, though, is whether more fruit could be born from your activity. You know, I mean, if you're satisfied with the bare minimum, 
All right, I mean, okay, fine. At least you get donuts. Um, but today you get burritos, by the way. Um, but, you know, generally speaking, doing the bare minimum is not something very respectable. It's not really something you'd brag about. It's not something you'd teach the kids. Okay, kids, going to school, do the bare minimum. Your job, do the bare minimum. Your chores, do the bare minimum. We don't teach that because it's not virtuous. But there are many people who approach their faith in this fashion. As a, as a priest I, I, I once knew said, you know, people just come and they get their holy card punched and then they, they go home. Now, you might need to do that for a while until your heart is tilled enough that it opens. Or perhaps some suffering comes that disposes you more greatly to what God can give. So it's not a bad thing that you're just going through the motions, but it's very common for such a person to kind of fall away and to be very inconsistent. There's just not a lot of commitment there. Um, And so the goal then, of course, would be to improve upon that, to just start to actually practice one's faith with more intentionality and desire. Second one, um, sown on rocky ground, so this kind of heart is the one who hears the word with joy, but there's no roots. As soon as the difficulties come, they're gone. I, I think there's a lot of Catholics who are in this position. You might, you know, you might be one of those families or those people, um, like I was, my family growing up, we were kind of start-stop Catholics. You know, we'd get back at it for a while and be, be really good, and then we'd fall away, and then we'd get back. And I don't know that it was because of tribulation, but that was sort of the, the dynamic for a lot of my childhood. And um, that inconsistency is actually really confusing for kids. Um, you know, why do we sometimes go and then we don't go? It seems, you know, odd. But I think as adults, what can happen is, um, well, one thing we can get distracted, that's kind of the next example, but um, to really convert our hearts such that God's word can implant and grow deep um, means a certain commitment. And the place where virtue is found is when we know what the good is and we do the good even when it's hard to do it. You know, because when it's easy to do what's good, I mean, it's not as though that isn't a virtuous action, but because there's no, that doesn't take a lot of willpower, there's probably not a lot of, of development of virtue. But those days when the kids are bad or the husband's bad or the, you know, you had a late night or you had, I mean, you think of all kinds of reasons. It's tough to get to mass and you still go or you just don't feel like it. Everybody's in that mode once in a while. You just don't feel like it and you still go, right? I mean, the times when it's difficult and you still remain committed, and that's just church, but if you look at it in the outside world, you know, when you're confronted with a conversation where somebody's, uh, you know, mocking the faith or um, just being ungodly in some way, and you choose to just stand up and say, actually, I'm a believer. You don't necessarily get in an argument. You just say, I'm a believer. I'm pro-life. Of course I am. I don't think you should kill babies. That usually will end the conversation. Take a stand. Why not? Life's way too short not to take a stand. 
Stop being afraid. Now, prudence, yes, prudence. Don't take a stand every single time. But there are times when it's important. And it's important to suffer something that might come from that. Virtue is built there as well. Okay. Then the last negative is seed sown among thorns. The one who hears the word, but then either worldly anxiety or stuff, worldly stuff, gets in the way. And this is, I think, a very, very common thing that um, we generally face, especially people who tend to, to come to Mass, as, as you do fairly regularly, is that there's other things that get in the way, right? There's other pursuits, there's other interests, um, or let's start with anxiety. There's, and let's separate this from, from you know, the, the very real emotional, um, even pathologies that some people really struggle with anxiety just sort of your common everyday anxiety. We get too wrapped up in fear about whatever. You know, and that could be anything from the world to politics to the economy to, to the gas price. To the, you know, I mean, it could be anything. Your kids, your whatever. And what happens is when we, when we start to focus on all of this fear, it can become all-consuming. But Spiritually, what happens is we stop trusting that God is in charge. And that's where it becomes a problem, right? Anxiety springs up when we stop trusting God that he's in charge and that we just got to trust the way that he's moving things. And secondly, it springs up because we think we can do more than we can actually do, but we recognize our futility. And then you have that, that tension within the self. That can get in the way. And then the stuff can just get in the way the pursuits, the world, the things. Jesus talks about this all the time, all the time, about how good things can take the place of a greater thing. So the things we have, we should not look at and say, oh, that's bad. It's a thing. It's non-moral. What we do with it could become immoral. But in itself, it's not generally, you know, the thing. God doesn't care what kind of car you drive. He cares what you think about the car you drive. Does that make sense, right? Should I buy a new BMW? Heck yeah, if you can afford it. Well, what do you think? Does God care? I don't think he cares. But if you're driving around, look at my big BMW and look at how awesome I am, he probably cares about that. He doesn't care about the stupid car, you know? He cares about how its effect, the stuff, the effect that it has on us as people. And that's what he's getting at. The effect that it can have on us is it distracts. It distracts and, and kind of gets in the way of our pursuit of our ultimate good, thinking that these intermediate goods can satisfy. And then lastly, of course, the Lord says that, you know, seed sown in, on rich soil is, is, of course, going to bear fruit. And everybody who's hearing him totally understands what he's talking about, right? Living in, a, in an agrarian society such as that, they get it. Okay, yeah, that's how seed works. So the goal is for us to have rich soil, our hearts. How do we do that? It, it has to do with disposition, our interior disposition. And largely, this is, I think, determined by desire. Do we truly desire to be closer to God? You know, that's really the question. Do I really desire that? And if you don't, why not? You're going to have to go down that path. 
But if you do, which I think is an innate desire that we have, the only thing holding you back is you. Because again, the whole point of this first part of the, the parable is God's given everything that you need. Any one of us needs, he's given it. What holds us back is ourselves. We are our worst problem in life. It's always ourselves. And so too with faith. And one of the things I invite you to do then is, you know, every time we're doing something um, religious, spiritual, prayer, singing, receiving communion, whatever it is, um, even interiorly, it doesn't necessarily have to be manifested exteriorly, but interiorly, have a bit of a conversation with the Lord. So as you're coming forward to receive communion, you know, we just kind of do it, we go through the motions, but actually have a conversation where you're saying to the Lord, Lord, I'm opening my heart to you. Give me what I need for the week or the day or the hour or, you know, whatever it is. Have this conversation. You know, be intentional about what you do. I've told the men at men's group, I can't stand it when I say something like, the Lord be with you, and, and I hear a bunch of these men. <laughs> like, look, I get it. You maybe don't all like to sing, but you can talk. So I expect the men to respond. Let's try that, men. The Lord be with you. Nice, it's a little better. The Lord be with you. Yeah, like firm, not yelling, but firm, right? Teach the kids and, and, and you know, I, I think the lady, ladies, do you like to hear that from the men, that kind of thing? Yeah, that kind of intentionality. Like, you know, it, it's, it's not like we're at a pep rally, but... So the, the intentionality matters because the more we can manifest something, the more that it does kind of open us up. It just does. And sometimes that can be hard to do, to be vulnerable with the people we love and especially with God. But the more that we can do that, and it starts interiorly and it, then it becomes manifest more outwardly, the more that that heart is gonna open and the grace and word of God can implant deeply within us. And so that's what I encourage us all to do. Be very intentional about what we do and try to do it the best that we can. Please stand.